Hello, and welcome to the All 80s Movies Podcast, the podcast where we talk about the blockbusters, the flops, and everything in between from one of the freshest decades from movies, the 1980s. I'm your host, Bill Bant, and along with me on this journey back to the 80s is my co-host, Jason Masick. Hello, Jason. You know, Bill, you don't even count. I mean, if you disappear forever, it wouldn't make any difference. You may as well not even exist at this school. Well, I'll just run right out and join the wrestling team then. That's right, listeners. Today, we will be discussing the 1985 teen drama, The Breakfast Club, starring Molly Ringwald, Judd Nelson, Emilio Estevez, Anthony Michael Hall, and Ali Sheedy. Written and directed by John Hughes, this movie is rated R with a running time of one hour and 36 minutes. Yeah. You ready to talk about the Brad Pack? Let's do it. So what is this movie about? What's on the box? If you grew up in the 1980s and went to your local video store to rent this movie, you would find this description on the back of the VHS box. It is what's on the box. Take it away, Jason. They were five teenage students with nothing in common, faced with spending a Saturday detention together in their high school library. At 7 a.m., they had nothing to say. But by 4 p.m., they had bared their souls to each other and become good friends. John Hughes, creator of the critically acclaimed 16 Candles, wrote, directed, and produced this hilarious and often touching comedy, starring five of today's hottest young actors, Emilio Estevez, Anthony Michael Hall, Judd Nelson, Molly Ringwald, and Ali Sheedy. To the outside world, they were simply the jock, the brain, the criminal, the princess, and the kook. But to each other, they would always be the breakfast club. Yummy. There you have it. Oh, yeah. Is it, are you craving breakfast now all of a sudden, yes. Bill? Is that is yeah. that what just happened? I, I wanted to <laughs> so all right, let's let's head on over to the Waffle House and do the podcast from there. That'd be awesome. Um that would actually be pretty fun. Anywho, I just thought it was funny that you know, in all of the other blurbs, like even on like the poster and whatnot, I believe Ali Sheedy's character is referred to as the basket case, not the kook. Yes, that did kind Which, of stand yeah, out. It's hilarious because I'm like, kook, where did that come from? Are, was that a high school stereotype designation? The kooks? I, oh, yeah. yeah. He just ran. You know, she she used to run with the kooks. Yeah. Those crazy kooks. I can't remember the last time I've heard that word. Yeah. I think the last time I've heard that word is the actual band named the kooks, which I like. But I outside of that. Oh, you're such a kook. <laughs> All right. So that was what's on the box. Um, let's move on to our earliest memories of this movie. Jason, start us off. Absolutely. Build it. I just now I'm feeling kooky. Um, I did not see this film in the theater. Funny to think I was only 11 when it came out because I really do associate this film with my personal high school career. But I was a couple of years away from entering high school. Either way, I definitely then did see it in my high school years. I remember, of course, Judd Nelson's defiance, especially his vulgarity. I remember that affecting me somehow. I was a real goody two-shoes man in high school and even especially earlier when I'm in grade school. But uh, I was known for my vulgarity. But in in film, for some reason, I don't know if I had been exposed to as much vulgarity. So that always stuck out for me. Because he drops the F-bombs right away and uh, with a lot of exclamatories, 
I should say within a lot of exclamatories, uh, especially when he's reenacting the scene between himself and his father. That always stood out for me. And I screwed up this quote. I actually wrote this down. I was like, that, oh, yeah. And that line that he says, uh, now you go cook me some chicken pot pie. Which is not even close, which is actually, and excuse my uh, my vulgarity in this moment, but the line is, shut up, bitch, go fix me a turkey pot pie. And uh, so I've got a lot of these quotes uh, kind of mixed up and screwed up in my head, but that's how I remember them. Uh, I remember also Emilio's ridiculous running and dancing around the library. Oh, Jesus. Oh, my gosh. Kevin I mean, Bacon wannabe. Uh, yeah. Hey. He was doing his own stunts, though. I give him credit for that. Or his own air punching, I should say. Yes. Richard Vernon, the teach. Ah, good old Paul Gleason, the actor who plays Richard Vernon. He's great, man. Uh, that line, don't mess with the bull, young man, or you'll get the horns. That always stuck with me. Uh, that's always been a memory from this movie. Two months, Bender. I got gotcha. you. Two months. Love that. When he does that, like the... Uh, oh, yeah. With his fingers. Yes. The two months, which funny enough, in my memory, I thought I associated that with the line. Don't mess with the bull, young man, or you'll get the horns. I thought he did that during that line. Right. Because he does it with the fingers. It looks like horns. Yep. But that's not when he does it. He does. He only does the thing with his fingers. You can't see this is obviously an audio uh, platform, but uh, I think fans of the film you know what i'm talking about when uh dick vernon does the the fingers when he says two months better i gotcha anyway just the thought of having detention for two months stuck with me i remember that being <laughs> early memory eight weeks of detention or at least eight saturdays i was like as a kid watching this oh my god yep. that's forever that is absolute that would be like no no that's pure hell. That would be a living hell. That was nightmarish to me. I also recall later in the film, there's the scene where they're all sitting around in the circle. It's a, you know, it's an iconic scene. Anthony Michael Hall's performance in particular was always a, a memory of mine, at least an early memory of mine. And we'll talk about that scene later, but for some reason, the location itself, the library, the high school, I loved the setting. That was always, when I think of this movie, that's an early memory of me because it's so... It's such a quiet setting and it's always kind of surreal. I don't know if this ever, if you've been back to your high school, Bill, when there's no one there, it's one of those facilities that if you're there when nobody else is, it's because you're just so used to it being full of life, full of people. Obviously it's, it's a public building with tons of people all the time. And you're there when nobody else is there, it's kind of eerie and different. And so I don't know that always kind of stuck with me just the five of them hanging out in this enormous space and having it to themselves and it being the library specifically so the location always resonated with me and then of course the very final shot was always a memory that stuck with me bender that being judd nelson pumping his fist into the air in the freeze frame to the iconic song don't you by simple minds so those are my earliest memories, man. What about you, Bill Bant? So for me, like you also, I wasn't in high school yet when this movie came out. I don't remember that much about it when it came out. Mm-hmm. But I remember always going to the video store and seeing it and just being like, Breakfast Club? What the hell's Breakfast Club? That doesn't make any sense to me. And seeing the five kids sitting there. So I never 
would rent it. And I think it really wasn't until Ferris Bueller's Day Off. That's when I found out who John Hughes was. Sure. And then I was like, oh, let me go back and see what else he did. Then I was in high school. So this was, you know, later 80s. And then that's when I first saw this movie uh, by renting it. And like you, yeah, the big thing was kind of comparing their high school to my high school. Like I said, I went to a small Catholic high school. And yeah, the school is probably three times the size of what my school was. I mean, the library alone was probably quadruple the size of what I was used to. So I think like you too, I was always amazed by the set. Yeah. And then just trying to recognize who these actors were. Because I think I only really knew Ali Sheedy from War Games. Sure. I really wasn't on the, the Molly Ringwald bandwagon yet at that point, even though she'd already come out with a bunch of movies. No idea who Judd Nelson was. Absolutely not. Uh, yeah. yeah. So Me I didn't really either. know. Yeah. So it was kind of weird because I didn't know who who these actors were in this film. You know, it is considered a classic of the 80s. Without a doubt. I was just going to say the same thing. It is the iconic 80s, quintessential 80s movies. It's up there. And all the lists, Mm -hmm. you name them, from whatever magazine, trade, publication, whatever it might be, movie list regarding the 80s, you can't separate The Breakfast Club from the 80s. You just can't do it. It's part of it. A quick funny story, because you did mention uh, Paul Gleason. When we went to UM, I remember we were at a football game, and Paul Gleason was actually at the game. And for some reason, he was on the sideline. That's great. And Jason, he was wearing... The same suit he's wearing in this movie, but it was <laughs> but it was white with a black shirt instead. It was hilarious. I couldn't believe it. I'm like, oh my god, he's wearing the same fucking thing he wore in Breakfast Club, except it was different colors. That is amazing. And I have no idea why he was there, but yeah. it was just so cool because everybody's like, oh my god, it's a prince or the teacher from the Breakfast Club. You can call. I, I say, call, go ahead, call him the. Prince I'm just club. gonna say, teacher. I'll just say, teacher. I always thought he was the principal until yeah. I did the I watched the movie twice tonight. So And there he was on the sidelines. Unmistakable. Unmistakable in the white suit that looks exactly like the one he wears in this movie. Very memorable. I, yeah. I saw him at the airport once at LA. Oh, did you really? Okay. Oh yeah. And I was like, hey, that's the that's the guy. That's the guy from Breakfast Club and Die Hard. Yeah, he's great. Wonderful character actor. And we lost him way too soon. Yeah. So, Paul Gleason. Sorry, uh, did you have more early memories, Bill? No, that was it. Well, I've got some initial thoughts here. I didn't recall it being uh, that short of a film before watching it, but it totally makes sense because, I mean, it doesn't need to be longer than that, considering the fact that there's a minimal cast and minimal locations. I hadn't seen this in a while, Bill Bant. I've seen it several times, but upon... The first watch today, I forgot how honest this movie is. It could get pretty rough There's uh, at times. like I just forgot you are kind of a fly on the wall as to some real high school kids conversation. At, and it was, you know, some of it feels, you know, because of the language of the time, it's again, quintessential 80s. Uh, it feels dated or it even reads like a play at times. but. There's some real, there's some gritty stuff in this that I just wasn't prepared for, for some reason. I was like, wow, am I just getting sensitive in my old age? Because especially with Judd Nelson's character, he plays John Bender, 
and he is the the quote unquote criminal of the five. And I just look at him, you know, as a like the burnout, or you would call it like the stoner, if you want to be stereotypical, put him in that group. But he's really bullying from the get. Oh yeah. It's kind of like I was like, oh, he is aggressive, man. Yeah. And it's a little rough. And it's all good. Look, for most people like Jason, yeah, are you a moron? This is the Breakfast Club. Are you did you what movie did you think you were gonna watch? But I for some reason had forgotten or had forgotten how aggressive he really gets. Cause it, it's just like that. Like he really is off to the races. Um, and that just made me think overall regarding my initial thoughts here, just how generally scary high school can be just like a young, impressionable, vulnerable kid. It's an awkward stage. I mean, high schools just can be rough. I fortunately had a pretty, I look back on a pretty easy going, I guess, overall, pretty good high school career, but uh, as far as my experiences go, but man, at that time, you're just, uh, as a young man, especially from my perspective, trying to find your way, you're getting into your adolescence here, beginning your developmental stages. It's the girls, it's the dating, it's the sex. It's all about being accepted. It's what are the norms, what are not the norms, the peer pressure, pressure in general, getting the good grades, the SATs, it's all that coming of age stuff. So it just kind of brought all that back. And I think this film captures it. I'd mentioned that, that I was uh, a goody two shoes and I kind of, I had a crossover career. That's how I call my, my high school career where I was kind of in the, the academic world, the sports world, the theater world, the band world. So I got a my kind of dipped my toes in all of those arenas and so I can identify with a lot of these characters in this this movie. I mean, they're uh, you know they're they're pulling on stereotypes here, but uh, they delve a little bit deeper. I think. Either way, uh, another initial thought here: this takes place at the fictional high school named Shermer High School, which is Shermer, Illinois, zip code six zero zero six two. I personally am from the zip code six zero zero four six, so I can't help but identify with the Chicago aspect of this uh, film, the Chicago connection, Sean Hughes being from Chicago. I'm from a suburb of Chicago myself. So I always appreciate the John Hughes films. Gosh, this movie establishing the characters right from the get, as soon as they're being dropped off at Shermer high school on this day in March, 1984, uh, you just know who they are exactly, you know, right away. I always appreciate that from a writing aspect. I love John Bender, again, played by Judd Nelson, when he walks into the library and immediately is just knocking shit over mm-hmm. and he just knocks the phone receiver off the hook, it just cracks me up. And as we had mentioned earlier, Bill, this is a huge effing library. I'm just watching it now, still just going, look at this space. Where is this high? What is this high school? This is a nice library. Uh, just right away, again, how quickly these characters really get into it with each other. And some of the, the back and forth is harsh. Like I, I mentioned, the opening quote that I, I used, uh, that's coming from Andrew, played by Emilio Estevez, who is the quote unquote jock in this film. And he comes right at Bender, just telling him that he doesn't even count that. He, if he disappeared, nobody would notice like he's just an absolute loser. And I was just like, damn, Jesus, Andy, take it easy. Just really right out of the gate. But it gets high school can be harsh. Bill, 
here's a real big initial thought for me after this rewatch is that Ali Sheedy is a real standout for me now. Okay. I loved her performance. She's just raw, very naturalistic. I don't know. It's something I just a fan of her. I'm just a big fan of hers in this movie right now. I'm just going to go over some of the, the eighties lingo, which really stands out for me. This was an initial thought. So I wrote these down, just things that we probably don't say, or the kids today, not that I'm really in touch or that I have my finger on the pulse of the kids today in their high school experience. They probably don't say this in high school today, but face sporto hot beef injection, cherry dork, Burner, aka Burnouts, wouldn't that be a bite? Monkey business, eat my shorts, really pumps my nads. Or <laughs> I love Bender's line to Brian, played by Anthony Michael Hall. Bender says to him, I can see you getting all bunged up for them, making you wear these kind of clothes. But face it, you're a Neo Maxi Zoom dweeby. Come on, this is all 80s. Uh, I've laid lots of times. You think he's bitching? My doobage. And you never know when you may have to jam. Just love the 80s language. Uh, So that's all I got for initial thoughts, man. Uh, We'll get into the next segment if you want to. But I didn't know if you had any other thoughts first. Yeah, it's crazy because you you mentioned all that language. I'm like, oh, that's totally been replaced now by a whole new set of It's brand new vernacular. Yeah. Brand new vernacular that we would have to translate to. Oh, that's what that means now. And that's what that means now. Yeah. It's, it's kind of funny. Cause my kids are starting to get at that age where they start saying words and I'm like, what, what does that mean? Okay. Got it. All right. Thanks. Yeah. My initial thought of this movie is I've not seen this in a while. It's probably been like 15 years since I've seen this. First thing that popped in my head was yes, this movie needs to be remade. Mm-hmm. We consider this I, an iconic classic film of the 80s. It should stay in the 80s, to be honest. I was I was kind of disappointed with it, watching yeah, it again. Okay. All right. There's moments in it Preach. I really like, but for some reason, and this is weird because I probably watched every Judd Nelson movie in the 80s. I mean, yeah. and he made some crappy films, like Making the Grade, From the Hip, Relentless, Blue City. I watched all of those. He annoyed me in this movie. I felt like every time there was a good scene, he destroyed it. Wow. All right. The only scene I liked him in was when Vernon had him in the room and he dresses him down. And that was the first time you kind of see him like vulnerable. I can never say that word. Vulnerable. Yes. I can't say that word. It's okay. That's why I'm here, Bill. Thanks. But I was like, oh, okay. We can see finally there's some layers on this character. Mm -hmm. And I mean, granted, every school had a John Bender. Sure. Um, Luckily, the John Bender, I didn't have any issues with the John Bender at my school. We got along, which is great. You got along with the John Bender? Yeah. you, You identified who it was, but you just happened to be friends with him. Yeah. See, I was the kid in school that just somehow got along with all the groups but I wasn't really like pigeonholed in a group. Right. Because usually yeah, similar to me. Okay. Yeah. I was smart enough that I was in like the higher, the in our school is like track. So track one, two, three, four, the lower the number, the better classes you're in. So I was always in like in track one or two classes. So I, I was smart enough to hang out with some of the smart kids, but not in all their classes. Like if they did AP, then no, I, I, that was a little too much for me. So I got along with them. 
Then we had like what we called the preppies. But one of the kids that like ran the preppies used to play baseball with me as a, as a kid. So I was cool with the preppies because we used to be best friends. Gotcha. I, I ran track in high school. So I was cool with the athletes. And then, you know, the John Bender guy, because him and I were in the same, I think, study hall together because I would help mm-hmm. him out with his schoolwork. That was my in. I, I'm okay. I was okay in his book. Sure. So, so all this, this all, all makes sense. Yeah. So all the circles, I, I was cool watching this movie. I couldn't really like put myself in one of those. Like, yeah, I could, I could take little pieces from everyone, but yeah, I, I would really love to see them redo this movie. Just what today's, what today's kids are fighting with. And then I was even thinking, I would like, I would love to watch this with a high school student who I've never seen or heard this movie before. And just to see Absolutely. what they thought of it. And I think the overall theme of parents and kids not understanding one another or kids thinking their parents don't understand them, which I think is true. Parenting is probably one of the hardest jobs anyone's ever going to have because there's no right way to do it. You can't follow instructions from you know step one, step two, and that's going to work for your kid. Every kid is different. And you just try your best just to try to do what's right for them. But sometimes they rebel against it because they don't necessarily want what's right for them. They want to figure it out themselves. Sure. So that was the stuff I liked in this movie was the, like, my parents don't understand me or I'm trying to please my parents. It was just that struggle. I mean, the fact that Bender was probably purposely putting himself in detention just to get out of his house. Good call. Sure. Yeah. And even with Allie just showing up because it was better being there at school than at her house. Right. That was the stuff I liked. But then it caught, when it got into the like, oh, you know, have you ever had sex before? See, that I always hated that question. I always, because you could never win when that question was asked. That's absolutely right. Yeah. Yeah. It makes me cringe every time I hear that because it was always like, and they kind of mentioned the movie too, because if you said yes, especially if you're a girl, you're a slut. And if you said no, then you were you're a, prude. a prude and they would right. yeah, make fun of you because you didn't have sex. And then it, like even for a guy, you know, they, they want to know details. And it's just like, yeah, that's, you know what? That's not, that's not your freaking business kind of thing. So that, right. Yeah. All that, all that talk in there just, just drove me up the wall. And, and I know it happens. Look, Bill, I agree with you part of the way. And because I felt upon, again, the first watch, I watched it twice. So the first watch was the same thing. It was off-putting because I was like, gosh, this is making me uncomfortable. But then upon the rewatch, and I think because I knew it was coming, I was like, this still is upsetting because of how Bender is really pressing the issue with Claire in particular, discussing her virginity and it comes up multiple times in the film. Also, it comes up between Bender and Brian, Anthony Michael. And it's an uncomfortable subject because you're right. Yeah. It, and it is, they do say, yeah, no, I don't like to talk about it because it's personal. It's my business, not yours. But then you just nailed it, Bill, by saying it is truthful. These are the conversations that the kids have. And inevitably, that subject will come up. It, ha- it is broached. Somebody asks the uncomfortable question. And so it's kind of... I'm a little bit torn because although you could actually say this is a trope in coming of age films, especially in the 80s, the the subject of sex, 
but it's real. And I don't know, would it be doing it a disservice to ignore the subject or just kind of brush along it superficially or handle it in this manner? So I understand because it did, it was just like, man, he's just really, obviously he's a bully. John Bender, the character is an asshole. Uh, it's not, I'm not saying he's a bad person, but his character that he's playing is an asshole. And it gets, it gets a little rough. It's to the point where I can see it might not be entertaining. Yeah. Cause it's like, he sets them up just to even embarrass them more. And yeah. That just drove yeah. You, I mean, I am embarrassed for them. I'm embarrassed myself. Yeah, sure. I feel it. So it's, yeah, I, I get that. And it's like, how do you become friends with him at the end? I don't get that. The transition, we can talk about that. Yeah. We can talk about that. There's where I can, I will side with you a little more, I think. Mm -hmm. Because I came around a little bit more. If we're just kind of doing a commentary right now, late here, ladies and gentlemen, on the Breakfast Club. Because after, again, first viewing, I kind of was like, I'll be honest with you. Does this movie hold up? Does this film really hold up? I don't think it does. Right. I think, like I said, I think it needs to be remade. It has its place. Um, it fits perfectly in the 80s, but it, it right. can't be taken out of that context. That's the problem. And I think gotcha. we just love it because of, like for us, we were, we were high schoolers also when this movie came out. We hold it in high regard. Like I said, I really like to talk to someone who has never seen it before and what their thoughts are and what they think of it. Yeah. All right. So... There you have it. Did you uh, have any other initial thoughts? No, go ahead. You just got my wheels turning, man, because it's, it's, I'm not shocked. I'm not surprised by yours, because I've had, I had similar thoughts. I think the idea holds up. It's just the package it's delivered in is stuck in the eighties a bit. Yeah. That makes sense. So I guess I'm agreeing with you. I just, I don't know if I can say it doesn't hold up. It's the right in the way, like I appreciate what John Hughes is, is trying to do. And it felt at the time for me when I saw it, especially my high school years of coming age year, coming of age years for myself, I felt like he really tapped into something. I mean, I clearly identified with the film and maybe it's because I was just living within that time period mm -hmm. versus now. It's another thing I was going to bring up later. I mean, this is why we do this podcast, right? It's it's the then and now aspect, how we, we saw this as young adults, young kids, young people versus older adults. And uh, it's just a completely different perspective. And that's, I almost identified a little bit more with Paul Gleason's character, uh, Richard Vernon, because there's a moment in this film, there's a scene where he's talking about, man, the kids are really getting after me now. They're coming after me. And Carl, the janitor, says, no, it's the kids are the same. It's you that's changed. Right. And I thought that was a good point. And I, I agree kind with of that. Feeling, I'm feeling the same way looking at this film right now. It's like, I feel like I've changed and my view on this movie has changed. Yeah, and I think the world's changed a lot because you think about it now. No we're, doubt about We're it. in the age of the anti-bully. I mean, that's a big push at schools. We don't bully anymore. And there's oh, a yeah. ton of bullying in this movie. You know, they drop the gay 
negatory slur in this a couple of times. And when oh, I yeah. even read it and heard it, I cringed. I was like, Oh, oh absolutely. God. But I remember being in the eighties. I'm like, how freely will we say that word all the time? Oh, it was a com. Unfortunately. Yeah. That is, is that's the truth. So hearing it now, you're that just was like, slang that was thrown around all the time. Oh yeah. And hearing it now, I'm just like, Oh God. Yeah. And I'm it's surprised ugly. this is the it's first nasty. movie. Yeah. I think that we've watched that we've heard this and we will come across mm-hmm. this a, a lot more in other movies. So that's why I think, I think the times have changed enough that it needs to be revisited. I would just like to hear this upcoming generation's voice in this film. Their issues are probably somewhat the same, but there's definitely wrinkles in it that I would be interested to hear. We'll, we'll get into it later. I definitely, I have this all in, I think my, my deep questions later regarding a, a, the potential of a, a remake, which I'm sure has been discussed time and time again over the yes. years, but how would you go about doing it? There's a lot of uh, different ways to, to tackle it. I think. Mm-hmm. Did you want to get into some uh, favorite scenes? Yeah, let's move on to favorite scenes. Let's talk about some of our favorite scenes from The Breakfast Club. Uh, Go ahead. What's your first? Okay. I guess I really only had one favorite scene. Mm -hmm. This is the parts I really liked about the movie is when someone would really open up about what was going on. Right. With their home life. So it was when they're sitting in the circle. That's it. Yeah, it's the best scene. Yeah. And Andrew's talking about why he's there at Breakfast Club, which is basically a Saturday detention that they're literally there from seven to four and for whatever punishment, which we find out everyone is there for at some point. So we find out that the reason Andrew is there is he was in the locker room and he saw another kid in the school who he kind of found like a weakling. And for some reason he just jumps and starts wailing on him because he's trying to impress his dad. Right. Because his dad always talks about the high school days and all the cool things that he did. And for some reason, he wants to emulate his dad or stay in his dad's good graces. And then he ends up taping this kid's butt cheeks together with some tape. And of course, when they try to take the tape off, it literally takes some of the skin off. Now he feels really guilty about it. And he's just mad at himself that he's not being his own person. He's just trying to walk in his dad's shadow or emulate his dad. And it's a very honest story that he's opening up with these people. Yeah. That's what I loved about this movie. It's just the moments where these kids are opening up about the facade is gone. He's not the right. you know super jock wrestling champion. The masks come off for a little bit. They drop the, yeah. And those were the moments of this movie that I loved. And this was really the like the longest one that they had in there. So this was actually my favorite scene of the movie where everyone just kind of stops, listens, and they all understand because in a way they've all they've all gone through something similar, but they would never talk about it because you can't you can't make yourself I can't say the, the V word again. Vulnerable. Yeah. It's Thank it's you. yeah. The forum is never an everyday high school. You don't get that opportunity or to form or the forum that or to speak openly like that or no. intimately. There's an intimacy to that type of scene that is provided in this, you know, detention for them to be able to do it. So yeah. If you did that during a normal day at school, you'd be made fun of. The story oh, would sure. go you all can. around and be like, oh my God, Andrew is crying. It just and it's not the appropriate did. time. Yeah. It just right. Would, yeah. It would be extremely disconcerting. On different levels. Yeah. 
And, you know, I, I'm glad you brought that up, too. Uh, I want you to continue to talk about the scene, but that particular, I appreciated Emilio Estevez's performance as Andrew, the wrestler, the jock in this moment when you said, like you said, he's telling the story and he's opening up about why he ended up in detention. And not only does he tell how he got there and what he did to this poor kid in the locker room, he puts himself in the kid's shoes. Right. And that's what I appreciate. Yeah. And we, as an audience, empathize with Emilio Estevez, but we don't necessarily sympathize because what he did was brutal. It was wrong and it's disturbing. Mm -hmm. But when we watch him go through the steps, as we can see Andrew visualizing being in the shoes of this poor kid, having to go home and tell his family what had happened and the humiliation he must have felt, and he starts tearing up. And it's kind of like, wow, this this kid, in that moment, he acted as a bully, but he's also a human being who has feelings. And he's not a bad person deep down. He's just, he made a mistake. And this other poor kid paid the price. And he's understanding the cost. Like, he understands what this kid went through. And he's truly, he's being contrite. Like, he's truly sorry. The end where he says, you know, sometimes I wish my knee would give. And I wouldn't be able to wrestle anymore. And he could forget all about me, he being his father. Right. And that's the other big part of the, I guess, confessional, you could say, is this is often, this scene is often referred to in the research, et cetera, as the confessional scene. Yeah. Because yeah, just to think, like, he did this to impress his dad. Like, was he going to go home and say, hey, I taped so and so's butt cheeks together? You should, you know, how funny that yeah, was. Like, it's just like, wow, what, what is your dad? instilling in you that you think you need to do that for approval. It's kind of scary in a way. He's fulfilling the stereotype yeah, of being like the jock is, you know, as a young male, you're supposed to exercise some sort of physical prowess and power over others. Mm -hmm. Like that's, and that shows, you know, that dominance, like, and it's just a young teenage, you know, thing to do as a young teenage boy. And it's bullshit. It's complete bullshit. But that mentality can be passed down from generation to generation, depending, you know, in, in this particular story, in this fiction, in this ch kid's life, his dad, unfortunately, embraced in that mentality of just being a boys will be boys. And part of it means being a jerk to somebody else or beating up on a, a kid weaker than you. It's just what you do. Yeah. So, yeah, I jumped out of the game, just gave my favorite scene right there. Sorry. Oh, not at all. Did you have anything else with that scene? I mean, uh, no. Great scene, Bill, you know, because each character gets their, their, and I'll, I'll jump on this too, man, because it is definitely my favorite scene. This is the scene that I think is well-directed, extremely well-performed by each one of our actors, probably is what put them on the map. I mean, this is, well, no question about it. Some of these actors had been in films previous, obviously, with uh, John Hughes doing uh, 16 Candles uh, before this, but we see these kids. I mean, you talk about Anthony Michael Hall and Molly Ringwald are both in their mid-teens. They're like 16. Yeah, they're both 16. I think when they shot this, mm -hmm. there's some great moments in this from a performance standpoint. But we get a confessional from each of our protagonists here. You know, we have Ali Sheedy kind of admitting to being a compulsive liar. She actually manipulates Molly Ringwald in this scene to admit that she's a virgin, which is a little bit devious and manipulative, but you know, yeah, but uh, 
We get Andrew Story, that being Emilio Essa, but we get Anthony Michael Hall, who makes a turn here because he's talking about the pressure of having to pass every class with flying colors, and he fails in his uh, shop class. And then it takes a dark turn when he reveals that he is in detention because he had a gun in his locker. Now, it was a flare gun, which lends itself to a little bit of levity in the scene. And there's some humor to that. They have a laugh over it. But there's a darkness there, too, and a seriousness to the the amount of pressure this this kid feels like he's under to perform at all times as far as, as, far as just achieving the grade, because he's supposed to be the brain. He's supposed to be the smart kid. And then we sympathize also with Claire, who's supposed to be the perfect, like the beauty queen type, the princess. Yep, and popular. The most popular and what that means. And she doesn't like herself because of that at times. And, you know, having to please others or, or do what, you know, everything that her friends do and, uh, at, you know, maintain that facade, as you'd mentioned earlier. And uh, yeah, we just, it goes around and the camera, sl- it just, the scene draws you in. It's intimate. You're getting character development. And it's actually only about, what, gosh, 10, 15 minutes before the movie's over. Yeah, that's that's the disappointment that you have to wait seventy minutes until you get to this. Yeah, it's a there's some really touching moments in it. There's a lot of crying, a lot of crying in that scene, but you sense that they get closer. That's a, you know because it's so close to the end of the film. Yeah, I wish it was more toward the middle, so then you see them really bond, so that the end of the film feels. A little more organic, organic, gratifying, uh, true. Instead, it's all it happens very. Uh, the connections happen really quick at the very end. Yes, especially romantically. So yeah, great scene, Bill. Definitely my favorite scene. Two other scenes I really enjoyed. One being uh, earlier in the film when John Bender, our uh, troublemaker, takes the screw out of the door that's being held open by. Vernon, so he can watch the kids from a distance. The door now slams shut and Vernon comes out all steamed. He's like, why is the door closed? And it, that whole, this, I'm putting like, it's like almost two different scenes, but it's one extended scene because Vernon comes storming out saying to the kids that are in detention saying, this door has to stay open. Why is it shut? Let's, and then he tries to figure out a way to keep the door open. And there's some humor and some, uh, physical comedy in this where he tries to keep the door open with the chair and the door is way too heavy and it slams the shut, like throwing the chair across the room. You don't actually see it, but you hear it and uh, goes into John Bender getting the two months of detention. And this is again, this is a classic scene from the film when Vernon is standing over John Bender and saying, that's it. You're getting another Saturday detention. Do you want one more? And or is he, he says something to the fact like, "Are we through?" And Bender's like, "No." Yeah. And he's like, "Well, you're going to get another one. So, do you want another one?" Yes. I uh, I love actually Judd Nelson's performance in this in that moment because he's continually he's just defying authority as if that's what he has to do. Like it's uh, he can't he has no other choice. That's just who he is which is not true, but he, he's kind of putting on a show, I think, for the others as well. But he ends up getting the eight days, 10 to tension. And that's when Vern's like, yeah, I got, you know, 
your mind bender for two months. I gotcha. I gotcha. Which is awful. But that's a really memorable scene. And my other uh, favorite scene too is I actually, you know what scene I really like, Bill, is the scene with Carl, the janitor. Yes, it's I a like great the one scene. Too. But I'm just putting it in there because uh, he comes in as the janitor. And what's fun about this is that it's, I kind of look at it as kind of a power scene in a way where the kids are there and they're kind of looking down at him at first. And of course, you have John Bender being an asshole saying, Hey, Carl, how does one exactly become a janitor? And he's kind of being kind of, he's being condescending. And Carl comes back at him saying, oh, you don't realize that I actually, you know, I'm picking up all this trash, but I know everything about all of you. I see all the letters. I see all the notes. I get into your lockers. I'm actually the eyes and ears of this institution. So he actually ones up or one ups the kids by saying that, like, I've got all the dirt on you. And then ends it by saying, he looks up at the clock and goes, by the way, that clock's 20 minutes fast. Yeah, that's a great last line. <laughs> it's a great like, and yeah, I got you. Screw you. Yeah. You're going to be here for 20 minutes longer than you thought because that clock's wrong. And the capper is too, well, not this isn't the capper, but uh, there's a nice little thing in the, that opening montage when we're being introduced to this high school and we're seeing different aspects of the lockers and uh, different signage, the hallways, the gym, the locker room. Etc. There is a trophy case, and there are these pictures in. It says "Man of the Year," and in the middle of the photos is Carl from when he was a student at the high school, or when he was thirty. Right. <laughs> it does look like he's thirty. Yeah, but he has a full head of hair, yeah. and you see. So it's and then we see him later as he's now the janitor of the high school. But he used to, he at one time was Man of the Year at Shermer High School. So uh, that's kind of fun, depending on how you look at it. But uh, yeah, so I like that scene where Carl is the janitor kind of gets one, uh, gets one up on the, on the kids. Um, but those were, yeah. So I just wanted to mention, those are two other scenes that I, I like from this movie. Yeah. I did like the scenes, both scenes with major scenes with Carl, him with the kids and then him with uh, Vernon, just talking about hey, kids are kids this is the way they're going to be. And uh, we just got to learn to deal with it and hopefully they grow out of it. Yeah. But yeah, the other scene you talked about, it's funny because in a way I almost felt bad for Vernon that scene too, when he's yelling at Bender because, because in the back of my mind, you're trying to get through to this kid, stop following this path that you're following. It's only right. going to lead to, you know, a bad life, but he gets mm-hmm. so frustrated. All he can do is you got detention for the next two months. So it's not helping, but he doesn't know what else to do. Like he just wants to grab him, just shake some sense into him. It's like, stop doing right. what you're doing, please. He doesn't. And it's interesting because Vernon takes on the role of the bully in this movie. Yes. At times, especially regarding Bender. He's Bender's bully. Mm-hmm. So there's an interesting dynamic there. And you see how Bender reacts to that. I think to be honest, Bill, and this is my commentary later on, is that a lot of the best acting I feel in this film is in reactions. And I I think it's a credit to John Hughes and or the editor that they catch and cut away to many of the reactions in this film, especially at that particular scene. After he gives, after Vernon gives Bender the eight weeks of detention, he exits 
the door closes behind him and that simultaneously we see Bender yell out, fuck you. Yes. And there's like a, a music cue, sound cue that kind of emphasizes it. And there's a wonderful reaction that I've never picked up on before. And a credit to Paul Gleason as the actor, as Vernon. He's standing outside in the other room. Clearly he's heard it. Bender yell, fuck you to him. Mm-hmm. And he tr- kind of drops his head. And it's like, shakes his head like, I don't know what to do. I'm trying to do the right thing. But he's almost hurt by it. He's confounded in that moment as if the, here's a, this, kid's, this kid is a lost cause. Like he almost sympathizes with Bender as much as he's frustrated by him. And he knows he's a punk. And he just gave him eight weeks of detention. You see this moment where Vernon himself is not a total asshole either. How many times has he had to come across the bender? Yeah. And I'm sure when he started, he would try harder to change this person on their path. Right. And now it's just gotten to the point where it's just, ugh, I got another bender. I can't get through to him. I know eight weeks detention is not going to do a damn thing. Right. It's like, I'm just, he's defeated. He's just defeated. That's a he's thank like, you. Yeah. He's like, that's, I, that's a great describe. That's a great word, Bill. Yeah, defeated. I, you see that reaction from him, which I had not picked up before on previous viewings. Like, and I think that's again comes with age personally for me. I'm older. I'm seeing this from a different perspective now. Mm-hmm. I'm not a parent myself, but I how how are you going to get through to these kids? Yeah. When they're in the midst of their teenage years and they're going to go through what they go through and they have to do it on their own to a certain extent. And no matter what you say, it's not going to get through. Right. We become know-it-alls. Mm-hmm. We're cool. And my nephew just turned 13. He's already there. Oh, sorry. I was just on vac- a wonderful, beautiful vacation. I love the kid to death. Like I, I do. I mean, he's amazing. And he was great over the few days, but I already see it happening. He just turned 13. Mm-hmm. He knows everything about everything. But we all did it. Most of us turn out okay. Yeah, it's, it's a stage. Yeah. You know, here's another saying that one of my favorite sayings, Bill, is youth is wasted on the young. Yep. Because when you're young, you just don't understand. The funny thing is like they're always like, oh, the parents just don't understand. Well, as much as the, par- the parents do understand and they're trying to tell the kids, look, you need to learn this stuff. You have to understand these things. This is how you need to behave or mature or whatever it is. And it'll never get through. It's just something the kids have to go through. Yeah, because as a kid, you can't picture your parents as you like you can't believe that they went through this themselves you could have the answers for everything the kids are never going to listen they just got to find out for themselves and you just got to hope they find out without doing harm to themselves or harm to others that's what you just hope it's to me it's always a matter it's been a matter of experience they just don't as a kid you just don't have the experience Mm -hmm. you only you just know what you know so are we done with our favorite scenes? Are we going on to the music? Well, quick, quick favorite moment though. No, you're done. All right. Go ahead, Bill. I'm sorry for cutting you off, man. Tell me about a favorite moment. So as much as I've kind of been busted on Bender on this one, he does have my favorite line in the movie mm-hmm. where um, Vernon separates him from the group. Um, because at, at one point in the film, they sneak out of the, the library to right find something they get trapped because one of the halls are locked so bender's going to sacrifice himself for the group so they can get back to the library right vernon catches them puts them in another room 
kind of puts him in his place. Oh, yeah. That's a brutal scene, man. So, of course, Bender's not going to stay there. So he tries to scale across the uh, ceiling tiles to get back to the library and then literally comes crashing through the ceiling. Right. He just kind of gets up and just walks down. He's like, I forgot my pencil. That line cracks me up. That was a laugh out loud. It's just so nonchalant. Like, oh, yeah, forgot my pencil. Good stuff. And for the listeners at home or in their cars or wherever you may be listening to the podcast right now, this is a comedy. (laughs) So we've been a little bit downtrodden on this because, again, I just at some point in my life got old and I have a different perspective on this movie because I'm really looking into it now and I'm thinking about the the deeper themes and uh, the issues that these kids have and how they're relating to their teenage life and their parents and their home situations and dealing with authority, et cetera. But actually there are a lot of fun moments in this movie, a lot of levity, especially Anthony Michael Hall is funny in this. And speaking of fun, favorite moments, I there's little things in here, like uh, when they get their lunches and. Oh yeah. Andrew manages to go off uh, or gets permission to go get beverages, gets a bunch of Cokes for everybody. They sit down and Bender grabs one of the Cokes in front of him and just tosses it to the back towards Allison. Mm-hmm. And Allison, played by Ali Sheedy, just raises her hand instinctively and catches it midair. Yeah. With the Coke can. Just hilarious. It's great. I, I don't know if it makes sense at all, but it just is it's a fun moment. And there's little, a lot of those little moments in this movie that are are fun. Like this movie is dubbed a comedy. Like it's meant to be a comedy. It has heavier moments, but overall, it's still fun. Now back to the seriousness. Hello, this is Jason, co-host of the All 80s Movies Podcast, with a message from Factor Meals. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factor's no-prep, no-mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer, thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you will always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you will always have new flavors to explore. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. Head to factormeals.com slash 80smovies50 and use code 80smovies50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code 80smovies50 at factormeals.com slash 80smovies50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. All right, so let's uh, move on to Swiss cheese and complaints. And the reason we call this Swiss cheese is because although this movie is delicious, it does have holes. Yes, and if it does not fall under Swiss cheese, we just file a complaint with the complaint department. Yeah. So this is my my Swiss cheese. But maybe it's not a Swiss cheese. Okay. All right. So we learn the reasons why all five of the students are there. So Claire uh, took the day off for school to go shopping. Bender pulled the fire alarm. Andy uh, beat up on the kid and taped his butt together. Brian brought the flare gun to school, which nowadays would he'd be sitting in a jail cell instead of detention. Right. And then you have Allison, who 
is supposedly there just because she has nothing else to do. Right. It's like she volunteered for Yeah, detention. she volunteered. So <laughs> you would think Vernon would ha- have paperwork on the students that are supposed to be there at right. detention. Sure. And realize the count's a little off. I'm only supposed to have four. Why mm-hmm. do I have five? I mean, it's not like it's 40 kids and there's 41 there. This is just five. One just snuck in. Yeah. And blended in. Yeah, right. It's a good point. Just that's a great that's a great point. Just like kick her out. Why are you here? Who are you? What are you doing here? Get out. I always found that weird. Yeah. How do you exactly volunteer for defense? I mean, but she does could a teacher really stop you from wanting to be part of detention? She would have to leave. You can't be on school property during that time, I don't think. But she does say she's a pathological liar. So maybe she's lying about the fact she's just there. For no Great reason, point. sure, yeah. So Tired there is there is some reason that she is there, and we just never find out. That was that was the only way I could justify like, right. how does she not get thrown out of detention? That doesn't make any sense. You would know. I love when Vernon calls her up. By the way, this again, I love Ali Sheedy in this film. She's again playing the the uh, the kook, or the uh, sorry, what what is the uh, poster? The uh, basket case. It just came to me. Anyway, she's a little bit homely, right? She's kind of, mm-hmm. she's got a lot of the dandruff. She doesn't, she's a bit unkempt. Yes. Let's just put it that way. I don't know if homely is an appropriate word to use. So I apologize for that, but uh, she's quirky. She's a compulsive liar. She's a klepto. Yes. She's just stealing random things. I love the moment. See, these are, hopefully we'll cover a lot of these little moments that are comedic moments, but the lo- moment when, we were just talking about Bender and Andy getting into it, right? And they have a little fight and Andy gets the best of them with a wrestling move. And then Bender gets up and is like, I don't want to continue this because I'll, I'll kill you, man. I'll kill you. And he pulls out the switchblade mm-hmm. and then sticks it oh, in yeah. the chair. And he's being all tough and he's still jawing off at Andy. And then suddenly you just see the <laughs> Allison's hand reach into frame and pull the knife out of the wood and steal it. Cause she's a yeah. club town. It's brilliant. So there's little moments like that that are great. Just, I, I love her character and she's like, she's realistic. I, I just think she plays that role. She's just kind of mysterious. You don't know what to believe, but she's just doing weird things all the time, especially when she's eating that lunch. She puts the sugar on the bread oh, with the cereal and is crunching. And she really ate that. Ali Sheedy did. I think it was Captain Crunch. That's what it seemed like. Yeah. That's what it looked like. Yeah. So, yeah. So it might not actually be a whole. If she's a compulsive liar, maybe she actually did do something. So we've got uh, some complaints to file. Yes. Go ahead. With the CD, as I call it now, the complaints department. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to make, I'm going to forge my own, my own badge. Bill, I'm going to walk around with it. Just okay. Say CD on it. Place department. So okay, here we go. So beginning of the movie. Okay. This high school. It's a Saturday. In March, I mentioned they show the montage, different little uh, just shots of the high school grounds, the high, the interior of the high school, the hallway. We see a locker that's like destroyed. I don't know if like a fire happened within the locker. It looks like the dirt's falling out of the locker. We I was get a, uh, a shot of the locker room, the gym like locker room. Mm-hmm. There's clothes and shoes everywhere. We see a shot of a counselor's desk and there's like, Papers strewn all about. And I'm like, Bill, 
did the zombie apocalypse happen? What happened here? Did a tornado rip through this school? It'd be like, it's trashed. It's Saturday morning. Like what happened? Did, did Carl is, is he just hasn't got to, to it yet? Like he hasn't made his rounds yet as the, as the janitor. I, I just thought it was funny that what happened at this high school where uh, there's just crap all over the place. I was wondering if the locker was Brian's locker and the flare went off in the locker. I think it would have. I think it would have done way that more damage than that because it looked like a fire hit. Okay. Yeah, but I think it would have done Good way call, more damage than what it was. So that's why I wasn't. I never put sure. the two together. Yeah, because I don't know if he says it if it went accidentally went off, but, but that, that of course that has to be it. Yeah, it would have done some major damage. I don't know why there was clothes and shoes all over the, the locker room though. Yeah, that was weird. Yeah, I was like, oh, poor Carl's got to clean all this shit up. Speaking of just shit everywhere, just. You know, the kids are in detention. They're in this huge library and they pretty much have run of the place because Vernon is supposed to be keeping watch. We don't know if he's a principal. We don't know if he's a teacher. Well, we find out he's a teacher supposedly later on. But anyway, he's negligent. He's off doing his own thing, walking around in his squeaky shoes. I just, that's another weird thing I picked up on. Why is his shoe squeaking the whole time? I don't know if I just had really sensitive audio and I'm picking up on it and it just got to me after a while, but we got Bender lighting a cigarette and smoking in the library. And then he's tearing up a library book and just throwing trash all over the place. And that's where I'm just going. No, you just don't get away with that. That just doesn't happen. We'll see. We'll see. Even worse. <laughs> I, I, like, somebody's going to smell the smoke and later on, they're going to smell. And I have it again. as another oh, yeah. that the weed. Somebody's going to smell it. It's just going to, it reeks. It, yeah. it permeates. It it wafts. Somebody, w- it will smell it. Yeah. There was no way they were getting away with smoking that. I mean, they literally fill up a room with smoke. Freaking Andy hot boxes the foreign language room with the weed. And the smoke yeah. Comes out and decides to do his air punch dance. Yeah. <laughs> which is, again, I'm just going to go right to that complaint, Bill Ban. Oh. Why does I... Will admit on this very podcast that I have partaken, if that's the right word, uh, in mm-hmm. in the Mary Jane in a smoking of the marijuana after they legalized it, of course. Well, and uh, not once have I decided. You know what? I am going to run the halls and dance and jump over things that just was never the effect it had on me. That's just me. I I don't know if I've ever seen anybody do that, but. I was hoping I was like, oh, we're going to see Kevin Bacon's stunt double now. But no, I think it was I think it was him the whole time. Everybody got loose. Yeah. Foot loose. Uh, yeah. Uh, good stuff. Yeah. But how is Vernon not go in there and not smell that right away? Good God. That stuff stinks. I get the rebellious nature. I get the point of it. It's just too oh, much. Yeah. like, let's come on. We're suspension of disbelief goes out the window, though. It's like Bender's setting his shoe on fire to smoke this, you know, to light the cigarette. Funny. It's a sight kind of gag type of thing, but alarm's going to go off. Something's somebody, you just, you don't get away with it. Or I would have been like another kid would have been like, what are you doing? Put the cigarette out. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Well, we didn't know about secondhand smoke then. So uh, what, what are you, some of your complaints, Bill Bant? All right. So at the end of the movie, Allison gets that makeover to I sure. guess, impress Andrew. And then all of a sudden I, yeah. she has this nice, like pretty outfit. Mm-hmm. Where, where'd that outfit come from? 
<laughs> was it something Allison had lifted when, and put it in her bag? I didn't see it come out of her bag. That or did Claire just have a backup? Yeah, exactly. Her handbag. Yeah. Like if she just did the face. Oh yeah, and she colored her hair too. I don't know how the hell she did that. Not only did she make up, you could see her hair change color too. It's like lighter. Oh yeah, Claire's a makeup artist and a hairstylist. Yeah. I'm, it's funny. I'm glad you brought that up because I had it toward the end of my complaints. Because here's where a deeper issue I had with that isn't kind of the point here or the message I was taking away is that isn't this more about them accepting who they are, that they don't have to be someone else? It felt a little bit off that Claire gets her all made up looking pretty and it doesn't now that's not the essence of who. Allison is though, to me, like she's now this beautiful, you know, I mean, she is pretty, but she doesn't have to be made up. She doesn't need to wear the makeup and have the perfect hair and wear the nice dress. She's beautiful as she is. She could, you could pull her hair back a little bit so we could see her face. I don't know. It just felt like, Oh, now, now Andy likes her because she is the beautiful swan. She was the ugly duckling. Now. And it's now she's the beautiful swan. Yeah, you can go both ways in that one because then it's maybe one of those like she feels comfortable enough that she can be accepted, that she would maybe show herself and she's just been hiding. Mm-hmm. It's an over transformation, right. I guess, what it is. Yeah. Maybe it was more just, you know, hey, let's just see your face so we can see who you are. But yeah, I think it's I think it's an over transformation. I think it's more of a I'm not going to hide behind this because people can actually accept me for who I am. So let me show myself. Okay, but yeah, yeah, I, th- yeah. I think it went over. The, it went over the top. Yeah, maybe a little. I bit. agree. With yeah, I just did, yeah, I didn't top. know if the whole makeover was necessary, but yeah, where'd you get the dress? I don't know. <laughs> Vernon needs to get his ears checked. Yeah, I mean, all right. So here's someone crashing through a ceiling, right? And for some reason, does not really investigate. Just asks, you know, what's the ruckus? Like what right. ruckus? And then they're playing that stereo. 10 times louder you could probably hear that throughout the whole, half the school oh with the acoustics and the echoing yeah sure absolutely you mean which part which part because here's a question for you uh because i'm just gonna really harp on andrew's uh air punching dance <laughs> yes when he comes out so he's hotboxed the foreign language room mm-hmm. there here's the scene the five of them are smoking weed And they're all now loosening up and they're having a little bit of fun and goofing around, trying to make the best of their detention time. And somehow Andy has gone off and decided to go into the foreign language room and smoke it up in there. The whole place is filled with smoke. He opens the door, comes out, and there's music that crescendos. Now, did he have, was there music on? Was he playing music in the room? Or I thought Brian was running the music. I didn't see Brian running the music until the end. Oh, okay. Where you see him in the room and he's throwing the records around, mm-hmm. and they're all and they're all dancing. I was surprised that Brian is secretly an opera singer that he could hit a note that loud to shatter. Oh, you mean Andy? Like yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean Andy when he's uh, yeah, which is another thing where if. You yelled that loud and it shattered glass on top of it. How does Vernon not hear it? Yes. Sorry. I'm calling, I'm calling Andy Andrew. Sorry. Andrew. I'll go, yes. I'll go by the given name. Absolutely. 
I saw I go by the, the name on his letterman jacket. I'm going purchase. by the name on his birth certificate. <laughs> yes. And then later on, when they're still, I don't know how long they're supposed to be stoned for, but after the confessional roundtable, but on the floor discussion, they're all dancing. And yeah, you see Brian again just throwing shit around. He's just throwing the records on the ground mm-hmm. as he's playing him in the the and I'm like somebody's got it. Fucking Car- poor Carl. Yeah, I know. I'm just Carl's- feeling for Carl. Carl's got to pick all this shit up at some point. Yeah. Like what we see is that he's the only one uh, working there. I don't think he's got much support from the other custodial staff on this particular Saturday. So anyway, uh, yeah, I don't know how these kids are just getting away with just destroying the place and the nobody's here's shit. And uh, yeah, it's yeah. kind of ridiculous. But- Carl might be able to cover up a ripped up book. And some mm. things thrown around, but yeah, broken window. No, the glass. He's got to say something. And I guess yeah, John Hughes. Reg- that's what his one regret that's been documented. What it was that? Steve, the broken glass it was the glass shattering. Oh, for some reason he didn't like that. Hmm. He wishes like that's the one thing he didn't want in the movie, or regrets keeping in the movie. I guess you know, man. I mentioned this earlier, but Bender is really aggressive with the are you a virgin discussion, especially earlier on when he's really getting into Claire's face. It's pretty upsetting. Mm-hmm. Um, when he's doing that, you get a reaction shot from Allison and you see her, her eyes are welling up. She's getting like tears in her eyes and you're like, she is if she recognizes what he's doing to her. And it's, it's upsetting. I don't know. I just don't, I don't like it. Like I, I get why it's in there, but, and it just is now watching it, I guess at my age again, in my perspective, it's, it's, he's really, uh, really interfaced with the stuff and it's not right. It's very inappropriate. Uh, and speaking of inappropriate, then later on, you'd mentioned this bill band is when Vernon puts Bender in the storage room to lock him in there uh, as punishment and really gets in his, and actually physically threatens yep. Bender and becomes in this moment truly the bully saying, I can't wait for you to get out of the school and whatever, because I'm going to find you. And he literally says this line to Bender. He says, I'm going to knock your dick in the dirt. Yeah. How about that? Ugh. And uh, literally says, I'm going to kick the shit out of you mm-hmm. when you're out of here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to teach you a lesson, basically. And then actually pretends to hit him in that moment. Like he's, or fakes it. He, yeah. He's about to hit him just to see him uh, flinch. Just see Bender flinch. Well, yeah, uh, he's, so, getting, he's getting a back for when Bender made him flinch. So yeah. Eye for an eye. So that's a, that's a, just a brutal scene. That's another uncomfortable thing. Like here's an adult really coming at this kid. Totally inappropriate. See that. So these, those two scenes I just mentioned, are they, I'm just complaining because I found them upsetting. I don't know if it's if there it's not that they don't belong in the movie. It's just depicting inappropriate behavior that made me uncomfortable. That's all I'm pointing out, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh especially in speaking of another quick moment too that I felt was really appropriate is that when Bender falls through the ceiling when he's escaping that very storage room I was just talking about that scene. Yes. Now he's under the table hiding underneath and Vernon comes storming in and Bender's underneath there. He literally sticks his head between Claire's legs to look up her skirt. It's just like, wow, that's it's assault. 
clearly. Yeah, that's a that's definitely a complaint. So that brings me to my biggest complaint then. Why do Bender and Claire get together at the end of the movie? I oh, don't yeah. get it. No. I don't get it. Would never happen. Just because you you kind of like, oh, she just wants to be with the bad boy. Or she, it's not just that. You, I think we're supposed to understand that she sees something else in him, the good in him. What? But we but never it, see it. It's not clear. Just wouldn't happen. Yeah. I, I agree. What did I miss? What did I miss? Yeah, we can get to that because I think that's really at the end of my complaints here. I was just going to mention one other thing. Go ahead. Uh, Sorry, Bill. Yeah. uh, Is that now we're getting towards the end of the film and their assignment for this, whatever, eight, nine hour day of detention is to write a thousand word essay on who they think they are Mm -hmm. as a person. So they're supposed to do a little deep dive on themselves. And Claire at the end decides to recruit Brian, the brain, to write one essay that basically represents all of them. So not each, so then they all don't have to write their own essay. So in the end, Brian has to write the essay. He writes it, and it's clearly not a thousand words. No. And not everyone did their assignment. Will they all get detention again? (laughs) I I don't know. That know. was the whole point. It's like they were given one thing to do and they didn't do it at all. I just thought that was funny. Although obviously it's a, I, th- I like what he did write. And that is, you know, you hear his voiceover. That is uh, Anthony Michael Hall as Brian saying what he wrote. Mm-hmm. And that's what leads us out of the film. Yeah. So we can get right to those complaints, man. It's, it's all about this, this quick, like this quick transition of, this romance, especially between Andrew and Allison, and then of course Claire and John Bender, doesn't make sense. No, they, neither makes sense. But at least Allison and Andrew kind of lay some groundwork throughout the movie. They seemed they had a couple moments of connection. Whereas with Bender and Claire, nothing. Oh, they're antagonistic the whole time. He's brutal. He's a total cocksucker. Yeah, this is not an opposite to track kind of moment. And he makes her cry multiple times during that scene. Yeah. Our favorite scene, actually. I mean, he's just yelling at her. Yeah, and it's just awful. You give him a diamond earring at the end? Yeah, it sends the wrong, that's totally sends the wrong message. Yeah. Whereas that, again, it's like just the stereotype or the trip of like the girl that likes the bad boy. Or the the dangerous guy, or is attracted to somebody who treats her like shit, because that's what he does. He just treats her like shit the whole movie. Yeah, I didn't get that at all, and I was really watching for this time. I'm like, okay, what are the signs that I I've been missing that she wants to be with him? Even the thing too, she looks through his wallet and sees he already has other girlfriends. Oh yeah, supposedly, and that's just not how she rolls. So like, oh, you just want to be a part of his harem? What is going on? It is funny, though, because for my my youth, I remembered for some reason really reading into it, I guess, that she somehow saw through his tough exterior and saw this different side of him that she connected to. But it's not revealed. It's not really there. It's just not. But okay, say she does find this side of him because he, he does indirectly expose part of himself throughout the movie mm-hmm. 
baby steps, maybe <laughs> not making out in front of your dad in the parking lot. I'm surprised the dad didn't get out with a bat, beat the crap out of him. That's well, that was my final complaint is the the making out in front right in front of the parents as they're pulling up in the cars. Like it just yeah. doesn't that it's doesn't like, make any sense. What school am I sending my kids to? They're supposed to go into detention, they're walking out and making out with someone. And I get the the making out, but just don't do it in front of the, the parents. Like as a as the kid, I wouldn't want to do that. I would oh, be no. like, no, I'm not making out with you in front. My mom's gonna freak. Yeah. Or my dad's gonna freak. We're not doing that. Well, I'll we'll, we'll kiss before we go outside. Right. Let's make out in the lobby. <laughs> I mean your dad. I mean your dad will secretly do a yeah, that's my son, but yeah, right. no, you're, not, you're not yeah, you're not doing that for your mom. See, that's that's your dad. See, you do it to impress your dad. That's why you, wow, you're doing that's, it. So. That's true. I get that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's too funny. But yeah, I think that was uh I think my last complaint. I don't know the thought, but it it'll come back to me. I don't have anything else. We'll just move on. Yeah. Yeah. So it's time for, hey, it's that actor. All right. In this segment, we spotlight a character actor you have seen in many other films, an actor making their big screen debut, or a director that makes an uncredited cameo. So, Jason, (laughs) who's your, hey, it's that actor. Wow. I love this new segment. Yeah. Um, I'll tell you, you know who my, it's that actor is. What? Mary Christian. She plays Brian's sister. Her one line in the film is, yeah, because this is the very beginning of the film. Brian pulls up in the car. His mom is driving and he's he's uh, shoved into the front seat. All three of them are in the front seat together. Very which uncomfortable. You, which you couldn't do now. No, no. And the mom's like, you're going to use this day to study. And he's like, we're not supposed to study. We just sit there. And she's like, well, you use this. You will find some, some time to study. You will find a way to study. And the little sister goes, yeah, that is actually Anthony Michael Hall's sister. Yeah. Her name is Michael or my, her name is Michael. Her name is Mary Christian. And this is her one and only acting role. And the only reason I chose this as it's, my it's that actor was to simply surprise you, Bill. That's it. I that's the only yeah. reason why I because you, you always call you're you got always me. so keen on exactly who I'm gonna pick. I literally did this just to go against the grain here a little bit. I honestly thought because there's so few people in this film that yeah. we were gonna like, <laughs> yeah, we're not gonna do this segment for this show because there's right. there's nobody. It was like Okay, Carl, I don't know. Yep, you got me on that one. Um, so for me, for my Hayes that actor. Or what was the what's the segment called again? Or hey, it's that director. So as Jason mentioned, you know, Brian gets dropped off from school, and his uh hey, it's an actor was Anthony Michael Hall's sister. Well, at the at the end of the movie, Brian gets picked up by his dad, who just happens to be Writer director John Hughes, what? yeah, makes uh, uncredited cameo in the film. I think it's only the third time that he appeared in a, a movie. So that's my hey, it's that director. Very good. And also, yeah, I had mentioned that Mary Christian, the little girl, it was actually Anthony Michael Hall's sister. His mom, Mercedes Hall, is the actress. Brian's mom. Yes, is Anthony Michael Hall's mom? Yeah. 
real That's life. kind of cool to work with your mom and sister. No wonder that scene felt so realistic. It did. They're, they, I was like, wow, they, they really got some good casting. They all look alike. The chemistry is really good. <laughs> That's fun stuff, man. What's next? So let us move on to facts and trivia. What are some facts and trivia we have about The Breakfast Club? According to IMDb, the scene in our favorite scene, Bill, the scene in which all the characters sit in a circle. Yes. In the library, that scene was not scripted. Writer and director John Hughes told them all to ad lib. I kind of have a hard time believing. I think there had to be a general outline. Yeah, I think so, too. Or some of it had to be pre-planned, like, or they had to have run it by John Hughes a little somewhat. But I, I would understand that in maybe their performance and the storytelling of it, uh, some of the lines are ad-libbed. I don't know. It's still cool. Mm-hmm. I'd like to believe it. Yeah. Um, so we mentioned uh, earlier on the podcast that both Anthony Michael Hall and Molly Rigwald were 16 at the filming, at the making of this film. Right. The ages of the other actors were Emilio Estevez and Ali Sheedy were both 22. And John Nelson was the oldest of the crew. He was 25. There you go. So it was the ages of the cast. They all looked high schoolish. I mean, definitely Anthony Michael Hall. I thought Emilio Estevez looked super young, even though yes. he's like 23. Is that right? 23 22. or 20, 22. 22 okay. Yeah. So I bought it. Not Judd Nelson. He does come off a bit mature. Yeah. But, you know, he was held back. Multiple times. Speaking of Judd Nelson, he kind of had a little issue there with John Hughes, director. Uh, because Judd Nelson stayed in character, supposedly off camera, and he was bullying Molly Ringwald off camera. He was doing the method thing, which is not cool. <laughs> um, so John Hughes nearly fired him over that. Uh, I got, But according to the research, Paul Gleason defended Judd Nelson, saying that he was a good actor and he was just trying to get into character. So John Hughes allowed Judd Nelson to stay on. Yeah, I guess that was a real point of contention between Nelson and Hughes. That's in most of the research. Right. The two of them never worked together again. So Yeah, yeah. Not yeah, good. So, yeah, so here's one of these, these moments. Uh, we didn't really, I mean, we talked a little bit about the opening scene where we get to meet all the characters and you really learn who they are just in those opening moments. Right. But I did forget that there's an opening credit sequence in the beginning where it shows all the, I thought the credits happen while all the actors were coming in. In the very beginning of the movie, there's a quote from uh, David Bowie, and the quote says, and these children that you spit on as they try to change their worlds are immune to your consultations. They're quite aware of what they're going through. Yeah. Supposedly, it was Ali Sheedy who mentioned this to John Hughes, the song. She's a big David Bowie fan. And yeah, John Hughes liked it and put the quote in the movie. And Ali Sheedy did not know it was in there until the actual screening of the film. Ah, that's great. That was kind of cool. That's cool. Yeah, I kind of forgot about that quote. It's great. I like that quote a lot. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's very fitting for the film. Yeah, that's from a Bowie song. Yeah. So we had talked about this film being remade, and it was actually originally suggested that there would be several sequels to this movie, kind of occurring every 10 years when the Breakfast Club would get back together. I kind of like that idea. Mm-hmm. Did not come to pass. 
due to the aforementioned volatile relationship between Hughes and Nelson, Hughes stated that he would never work with Nelson again, just like you said. And then Molly Ringwald uh, decided to move on from the teen film genre to pursue more adult roles and uh, thus didn't work with Hughes again. That all happened. Yep. So the library, that huge effing library, as I put yes. it, that was a construction. They constructed that in the gymnasium of Maine North High School in Illinois. That actual school had closed down in 1982. I saw two different, like it was either 81 or 82, but a couple of years before filming began. And that building had been used for park district purposes and the Chicago Blitz of the now defunct USFL, the United States Football League, before the Illinois State Police bought it and turned it into a police station, which it is to this day. So that huge library was basically a set built in the gymnasium of Maine North High School. John Hughes uh, liked to set most of his films in the Chicago area. Yep. In the fictional suburb called Shermer, Illinois. Yeah. Other films that took place in Shermer, Weird Science, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, 16 Candles, Pretty in Pink, and National Lampoon's Vacation. Yeah. So that was his go-to. Absolutely. It was like Stephen King's Castle Rock. No doubt. And John Hughes in Shermer, Illinois. Yeah, yeah, Illinois. Illinois. Illinois or Illinois. You know, John Hughes originally wanted The Breakfast Club to be a two and a half hour movie. However, many of the scenes were cut out, the negatives destroyed. Hughes uh, said that he had the only complete copy of the movie on film. And there's a supposedly, like, you can look at it in the research. We don't have time to go over it all tonight, but there were just. There's a lot of different deleted scenes. One of them being like this entire dream sequence that happened when they all fell asleep. In oh, the yeah, I heard about that. Yeah. Which was kooky in its description, but uh, you can find it. You can look it up. I mean, not the actual scenes. That'd be cool. So yeah, supposedly that cut exists somewhere in the Hughes family to this day, but nobody knows for sure. Or at least those scenes, those deleted scenes exist somewhere. There's only one copy. I think that's kind of cool, actually, you know? Yeah, it'd be interesting. I do think this is kind of funny, man. Estevez, Judd Nelson, and Ali Sheedy played high school students in this movie the same year that they portray the college oh, yeah. graduates in St. Elmo's Fire. Fire. Yes, that is kind of funny. And it just proves we didn't give a crap at that time. That just no, we didn't did not. matter us at all. Yeah, well... There's some fun facts and trivia. I don't know if you got anything else, man. No, that's it. Let's uh, move on to box office. Um, So this movie was released on February 15th, 1985, which is surprising because usually February is not, if your movie is released in February, the the studio does not have a lot of confidence in your film. Right. But on a budget of $1 million, it grossed. 45.8 45.8 million domestically debuted at number three on the box office charts and stayed there for four of its five first weeks of release. So it had a little staying power. I think it was behind, it was still behind the juggernaut of Beverly Hills Cop. Oh, yeah. Still riding the, riding the wave there. So sure. Yeah. From the end of 84. Yeah. Right. Makes sense. 
So moving on to reviews, when growing up in the early 80s, we loved catching at the movies with Gene Siskel and Roger Ebert to hear the reviews and watch clips from upcoming movies. The review of the film was unanimous, two thumbs up. Roger found it interesting that a teenage movie took its character seriously, while Gene liked how the film kept to its claustrophobic set and didn't stray into typical teenage cliches of sex and violence. There we go. So that brings us to additional thoughts and some deep questions. All right. All right. Let's get into it. Yeah. So... What else would you like to talk about? You know, I had mentioned this earlier, Bill, some additional thoughts. I I love a lot of the reaction shots and the performances within those reaction shots in this movie. I mentioned Vernon. Uh, You said it was a defeated look, which I think was the perfect description of that moment. Uh, There's another moment uh, that I mentioned with Ali Sheedy tearing up when Bender is really bullying Claire with the sexual questions uh, as if he's literally verbally, you know, assaulting her right there. Then there's a great moment that Judd Nelson has actually went in that one of my favorite scenes when Carl kind of gets the better of him in the discussion when Carl's like, you know, I'm the eyes and ears of this institution. And by the way, that clock's 20 minutes fast. So screw you. <laughs> yeah. But Bender, Judd Nelson re- kind of has respect for Carl in that moment. I love Judd Nelson that moment because Bender's he's smiling. He's like, mm-hmm. oh, Carl's got a little, little extra something, something going on. Like he's 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 cool. Carl's cool. Janitor's good. He's good in my book. I just like that moment. So I just wanted to bring that up again. Uh, just another additional thought here. John Hughes, man. You know, he's our guy. He's a lot of people's guy from the eighties. Has to be. I don't know how to encapsulate it or say it succinctly or eloquently in this moment, but there's something that he just captured about the coming to age, coming of age experience as a kid. He just nailed it. And there's that I'll connect to it because of the location always, but I was just going to bring up his filmography as a director during the eighties, not as a writer, his writer, he's prolific, obviously as a writer. Uh, and has numerous hits, but just as a director alone, it's not a long list, but just here we go from 84 through 91, 16 Candles, The Breakfast Club, Weird Science, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, She's Having a Baby, Uncle Buck, and Curly Sue. Not bad. These are huge, huge 80s movies. Maybe not Curly Sue, but. No, well, I mean, that was 91. So for the 80s movies, I mean, I love She's Having a Baby. Uncle Buck was huge. I mean, Planes, Trays, and Automobiles, that's my favorite Thanksgiving movie of all time. Can't say enough about Ferris Bueller's. I mean, come on. We're going to do these movies, man. Weird science. Mm-hmm. Just wanted to give a shout out to John Hughes. I'll never forget. I don't know if, did I bring this? I don't think I brought this up in an earlier podcast, but... uh when he had passed, I'll just say this completely honestly, and I'm going to be vulnerable in this moment and saying, I got choked up, man. That was sad when I had heard he'd passed. And I ended up going to a Chicago Cubs game and I had bought a t-shirt that had the water tower from Ferris Bueller's Day Off on it. Uh-huh. 
and it's with the it's with the writing save ferris right and you looked around the stadium and there were other people there that were holding like like r.i.p john hughes type of, of things like that because he had a huge impact on uh people that grew up around that area of course not just Chicago area, but you know, anybody that grew up during that, that generation and that time. So I remember that specifically, uh, John Hughes, the man, uh, I mean, I got, uh, yeah, the Brat Pack, man, this is it. I didn't, you know, for whatever reason, Bill, I associate the Brat Pack with not, I mean, this movie, but I guess mainly St. Elmo's Fire. Yes. But this is where it all started. And because it like, I'll just ask you point blank. When you hear Brat Pack, who do you put in that category just instinctively? Yeah, I, right I do the, the same thing. I, I go with the St. Elmo's fire cast. Right. Rob Lowe. I think Rob Lowe is always the first one that pops in my head. Mm-hmm. When you when you think I go then I go to Emilio Estevez. Okay. Andrew McCarthy. I think of the guys first. Right. For sure. Than Demi Moore because of St. Elmo's Fire. See, I was but just according, like, yeah, Alice go ahead. Sheedy. Yeah, see, in the research, they put Anthony Michael Hall in there as the original because it's, not- it's its first Breakfast Club and then they combine. It's Breakfast Club right. and St. Elmo's Fire. The two of those encapsulate or, you know, you group it together and that's the Brad Pack. Yeah, see, so I know. Ali Sheedy's in there too, but Mayor Wingham's not. Right. I see. I don't consider Anthony Michael Hall or Molly Ringwald as part of it. Yeah. Oh, right. And Molly Ringwald. Sorry. Yes, of course. So it's interesting because then you do the research on the Brad Pack and there's all kinds of different people have all kinds of different ideas, mm-hmm. but it all stems from the New York Magazine article. Correct. Written by David Blum. Is that correct? I can't remember who wrote it. Yes. David Blum's New York story entitled Hollywood's Brad Pack, which is now not that was not looked fondly upon by no. by the members of Brad Pack. They did not want to be called that. That was uh and it was not a a nice article necessarily. Right. But David Blum had hung out with a few of the cast members and then decided to, you know, write this article and uh they did not care for the moniker and they some of them actually kind of blame that article for breaking up the Brad Pack. They all kind of went their different ways after that. Mm-hmm. Some of them went on to better careers than others, and some had issues, some didn't. But I would, you know, it's just, it was an interesting time. But, uh, you know, a lot of those actors, you know, grouped together, known as the Brat Pack. I think, um, you know, I do have some, did you have, do you want to throw any other like additional thoughts in before I get into some questions? Yeah, just another uh, scene in the movie that I found amusing was um, there was a part where Allison basically, knows all the information on brian right so security number where he's from all all that kind of stuff and you know that's when you find out she's a klepto and she's she's stealing stuff and then there's a scene where i think it's andy's looking at his fake id and he's like what do you what do you need a fake id for oh this response is great it's just like yes so so i can vote i was like that's just great that's pretty funny. <laughs> and I think Which he said something a, like it's 68 years old or something. Yeah, There's he's another. Like, yeah, I know. Yeah. It's just so I, I just need it so I could vote. Yeah. Could, uh, yeah. And supposedly improvise that line. There is some comedy in here. Yes. Okay. Again, what's that? Yeah. It is funny. And you know what that made me think of that scene? 
little throwback to one of our other oh, uh, yeah. summer school. Summer school, yes. Where the they get these ideas? Yeah. The, He's using the idea of a, a Vietnam vet who's African-American. <laughs> yes. And then, yeah, I think Brian's was, he was 68 years old or something like that. I thought, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's yeah. Like, uh, they, they go the same guy uh, or girl. Maybe it's a girl that's doing them. Sorry. Yeah. So I've got some questions, man. You know, okay. we kind of covered this already. Should there be a remake? I think we've answered that. Yes. I think there should be. This one, you can either, I don't even know if we, you could do it as a remake or even i don't even know if it would be a remake it would be just be a reimagining yeah right right yeah you could do it. and so my question to you though yes is i'll i'll save that question let's just stay on the remake because if you were pitching the remake you're a writer bill you are a writer okay. i'm stating that as a fact you are a screenwriter so how, where would you set this? Would you go with inner city? Would you go maybe high school way out in the countryside? Uh, this is takes place in middle America, of course, the Midwest, Chicago suburbs. Would you change the setting? No, I think you can still kind of keep the same, you know, somewhere maybe right outside the city. But of course, it would be a more diverse cast. That's what's going to be my next, of course, right? We're looking for diversity. Yeah, because I think that is one of the things that needs to be talked about now, especially in our in our climate, is just race issues and stuff like that and just how it feels to be whatever your ethnic background is. Oh, absolutely. It would be extremely topical. Yeah. You'd have a, a plethora of right topics to cover because you're talking about actual like really hardcore bullying which is like you'd mentioned earlier a real serious issue mm-hmm. now that we still have in our schools the subject of suicide suicide oh, yeah. attempts overdose drug use i mean we still have a real problem with uh the drug issue in our country mm-hmm. especially with our youth narcotics etc uh especially pain medication you know opioids yeah, that's you know been you know we know this right. That's that's current. That is a double issue. Go ahead. Like bullying nowadays is more through social media, so it's well, not like right. the outright. Yeah, yeah it's not sure. like the, the bullying you would see Bender doing. So it may not be as yeah uh, cyberbullying. Yeah, it'd be a lot present bullying. in person. Like yeah, and but uh, it would be happening. It would be happening behind the scenes. Yeah, because like I said, schools are are more trying to crack down on the bullying. So, you know, the kids got to find a different way to do it. And that would be the way. And you have these kids, too, with the social media that are dealing with this body dysmorphia. I say it like it's a new thing. And that's not a new thing. I'm just saying. Right. You know, it's just unfortunately reinforcing that issue. Uh, Uh, Teen pregnancy, maybe. Yeah. Sexual identification. Yep. Yeah, there's a lot of things they could touch on, and I and I think the kids need that voice to express what you know they're going through. This would be a a, a good way to. I mean, it's in a fictional sense, but just to make aware of what this next generation is going through. No question about it. I, I have no doubt there. Are, please tweet us, email us. I'm sure there's sure there's shows out there now that are dealing with this on some level, but. This is a good platform for it to, you know, some of these kind of uncomfortable discussions to happen, but they're honest and real. Like, again, you're the fly on the wall watching high school kids 
in this particular forum, like this attention thing where they really can be honest with one another and tell each other, you know, you have different people from different walks of life, different kids from different walks of life, just telling them what their, what the current state of affairs is today, what the home life is like, Mm -hmm. which is another thing I thought was interesting growing up when I'm going to high school is different. You know, you're growing up and you're becoming more aware of your surroundings and the people around you and you meet more people, you're exposed to more. The exposure is such a big part of it. And you get to, you know, you start meeting different people from different backgrounds and you go over to their houses and you spend the night or you're hanging out with them or you go to a party or whatever, and you just see how other people live. And you're exposed to just different cultures, different backgrounds. It's uh, It can be eye-opening, especially at that, that age. And how does that affect you? And who are you, you know, who do you decide to hang out with and who, what kind of friends do you choose and all that kind of stuff. So it's always interesting to watch. Yes. And I would be curious to see someone tackle this with the kids because I, I don't know, I'm so far removed from the high school experience, obviously today. So I wouldn't know the first, I would be interested to see because I felt watching this film again, how at moments I was like, oh, this is a little bit hard hitting for, you know, I was like, I didn't read, I forgot about how aggressive it is at times and honest. Uh, and it may not hold up completely because it is stuck in the eighties as we covered, but what is that hard hitting, honest, real approach, that conversation, like, you know, honest conversation between kids today sound like, yeah, it'd be interesting. So, okay. There you have it. Bill Bant, which character are you? I've thought about this a lot. I don't think I f- necessarily fit into one of those. No. I don't say stereotypes, but in one of those roles, like if I was asked, like, who would I play? Who would I think I would be closest to playing? Maybe I'd probably lean towards Brian, but I don't think I'm, I was smart enough to be Brian, but I think he's probably the closest I would identify to. Allison and me too. <laughs> Just a little bit. Now you got me curious, man. I want to see the Allison part of you. Bad day. Bill, are you, Bill, are you lying to me right now? Is that what you're saying? You're a compul- There's a little bit of a yeah. compulsive liar inside of you. What are you talking about? Or maybe klepto? Is that? Yeah, that's yeah, that's what it is. Yeah, I am missing some things actually. Or I could be lying. Yeah. No, I think of it. My switchblade is gone. <laughs> Yeah, I would definitely be a blend between Andrew and Brian, for sure. Yeah, I see that. Uh, because I, you know, like I mentioned, I kind of crossed over. I, I was kind of part of a different, a lot of different groups. I didn't party in high school. I'd also briefly mentioned that I was a goody two shoes. I didn't get into the partying until uh, college, but that was just my experience. So those are the characters I definitely identify. Any other questions? So here we go. Here's okay. here's a big question for you. Okay, big question. Do they actually talk to each other on Monday? Because that's where part of the discussion, that heartfelt revealing conversation toward the end of the film, our favorite scene they talk about. Or Brian brings up, hey, are you going to talk to me on Monday when I see you in the halls of high school? After we've all become friends here and we've bonded now. I think Allison talks to Brian. And then, of course, you know, the couples will talk to each other. And uh, that might be about it. I think Claire, I appreciated Claire's honesty in the scene when she said, no, we're not going to, because I think that's the realistic approach. Yes. 
I, I think totally they would acknowledge each other for a couple of days, but then they would kind of retreat to their own corners or stay, stay with yeah. their own. It's just the clickish nature of. Oh yeah. Their circles don't, don't mix, but I yeah. think, yeah, I think they would at least acknowledge each other's presence. Whereas before it would tunnel vision by, but no, do they sit together ever at lunch and talk? No. Right. Yeah. So another big question, of course, to, you know, do Andy, Andrew and Allison actually date and for how long and do John and Claire actually date or is that just their, their one day, one time thing? I give Bender and Claire a week and Allison and Andrew at least make it to the prom. Ah, good. I like it. A little positive outlook there for them. I would agree with that. Good call. Good call. Here's the biggest question of them all. How far does John Bender have to walk to and from school? Poor guy. He just didn't have a, he didn't have a ride. He didn't even have lunch, man. Oh, yeah, I know. He had to walk to school. And he had to walk all the way across the football field. Yeah. Get home from school, which thankfully, what kind, what thankfully kind of he did, because then we we otherwise we wouldn't have that iconic final image. Oh yeah, the punch. The fist bump. What kind of school keeps their high school football field open like that? He had to hop the fence. Of course. I was going to, I actually left the biggest question for the end. Did you want to answer that? Uh, I was just kind of half kidding about how far he has to walk to school, but I just felt for him a little bit. The biggest question really from the film is what does Richard Vernon actually teach? Like what subject would he teach? Definitely not math or science. No. He would be a really kind of a hard ass English teacher, but I still don't see that either. Social maybe, like yeah, studies? maybe social studies. He could be like a shop teacher, I guess. I don't see him a shop though. Nah, uh, some kind of history. Yeah, I could see that. Maybe Richard Vernon, kind of the dickish history teacher. All right, so I, I had a question. Yes, from the five main actors in this film, mm-hmm. what is your favorite role from each of these actors? Wow. I know I'm putting you on the spot and doesn't have to be a movie. It could be, you know, television too. Okay. Uh, Emilio Estevez. I'm going with Billy, the kid from young guns. Okay. Judd Nelson for Judd Nelson. I know you didn't care for him in this, but I'm going to stick with, I think this is my favorite role. I honestly, outside of this insane, almost fire. I don't know. If I've seen any of his other films in their entirety. Okay. So I'll stick with breakfast club for Judd Nelson. Anthony Michael Hall, I'm going to go with Weird Science. Okay. And Ali Sheedy, mm-hmm. gosh, she was so freaking adorable in War Games. Who, who's the female? Is she, who's in Short Circuit? Is that her? Yes, it is her. Okay. I might be partial to Short Circuit. Oh, I was a big fan of that movie. I wow. saw this way too many times. We are lucky we're not playing match game. We'd be <laughs> 0 for 5. <laughs> Although I have a brand new appreciation for her because of this movie. And we've got Molly Ringwald. I'll have to go 16 candles for her on that. That's just the, I mean, not six. I'm sorry, not 16 candles. Uh, I'm thinking pretty pink. Oh, okay. We do That's match. what I'm going with. Pretty okay. pink All right, for so we do Molly match. Ringwald. So we do match on one. My bad. Okay. I jumped the gun. I'll have to cut that out. <laughs> we went one for five. One for five. Did I? Yeah, is that it? 
I'm trying to think Anthony Michael Hall. Is there anything else? Not Johnny Be Good. Oh, that no. That movie's awful. <laughs> I think I have to go weird science. I saw that in the theater, and that's the closest I've come to walking out of a movie. Yeah, I gotcha. I gotcha. I wanted to like that movie. Yeah, I gotta go weird science because he's so funny. Okay. I'm gonna stick with that. Did I get all of them? Yeah. Emilio yeah. Young Guns. Yeah, okay. Got it. How about you, man? Go through, go go over your five. All right. So Emilio Estevez, I have stakeout. Sure. Good call. Of course. Um, for Judd Nelson, um, it was a TV miniseries called Billionaire Boys Club. Oh, I vaguely remember that. Sure. Yeah. That was late 80s. Yeah. Um, uh, Ringwald, Pretty in Pink. Alex Sheedy, I did go War Games. Yeah. So, yeah. Almost yeah. Good call. And then for Anthony yeah. Michael Hall, the Dead Zone, the TV series. You know, I just I thought of that, too. Yeah. That was a favorite. I, yeah, I that's I actually own those. That's how much I actually like that. Oh, show. wow. Yeah. And you know how much He's good. I, you know what I am with television. So, yeah. Right. That means a lot. Yeah. So the fact that I actually watched the show, that's that's impressive. It's, it's, it's special. Yes. Good stuff, man. I love it. Good question. All right. All right. So we want to close this puppy out. Oh, and by the way, I did see on Emilio Estevez's IMDb uh-huh. that it's planned production, Young Guns 3, that he would be directing. What? Yeah, and wow. starring, which I honestly would, would run out and see. I would. I love those movies. I like them. I like them both. It's funny. Young Guns was the first time I saw it. I did not like it. And then when I saw it again, that's when I was like, oh, I actually like this movie. And I don't remember anything about the second one, so... Yeah, that'd be interesting. Yeah, I would see that one. Do like the Lou Diamond Phillips. Yeah, great cast. Yeah, mm-hmm. yes, that is an amazing cast. All right, hey man, you know this was this was an interesting one because I feel like we we kind of took this into a different realm of of moodiness. Yes, we which did. I I actually appreciate because the Breakfast Club is so revered as the quintessential '80s movie and John Hughes probably up there with his one or two talked about eighties movies. I mean, outside of Ferris Bueller's day off. Right. I mean, the list goes on and on, but still breakfast club is going to be in the top three for John Hughes, always in the discussion. It's interesting because this is a comedy. It's a, an American teenage comedy coming of age film. And it does have its lighthearted moments, but looking at it from the adult perspective now, I really do have a different take on it. I still would recommend this to moviegoers out there just to be aware that this was made during a, a different time. And I think the subject matter is there's still some truth in it and the performances are worth watching. I still think the direction is great, but yeah, from a storytelling aspect, there are aspects of it that are dated and don't hold up quite as well, just because it is a bit like, I think you nailed it, Bill. I'm like, I'm coming over to your side in the fact that it is stuck a little bit in the in the 80s. Uh, and I'll always have my nostalgic attachment to it. But I just look at this movie differently now. Uh, it hits me differently, as it should. I mean, normal and naturally, but because the sensitive nature of some of the subject matter. But I remember what it was like to be a high school kid. And I remember the, the tougher times and difficult things I was dealing with coming of age. So I relate to it still on that level. It brings back some good memories too. 
I still, yeah, again, would recommend it just because if you're a fan of film, this is one of the, the classics worth seeing what it's all about. Yeah, I'll be honest. I, I was surprised by my reaction after I saw the film and just felt like, ooh, yeah, it needs to stay in the 80s. Mm-hmm. But if you're, you know, you're a film lover or a film connoisseur and just really want to see the evolution of film or just learn about John Hughes, yeah, you have to watch this movie. But just understand, you know, in the context that it is, it I think a lot of it does not hold but there's such some such great moments in it that every time those moments came i was always like oh yes this is what i love about this movie and then i just felt like jed nelson just kind of somehow just like almost like snapped you out of it and you're like oh geez this is this is what i was enjoying why did you do that i got you sorry to interrupt you i was just thinking the relatability of it right is because we watch a lot of these 80s films, and even from the perspective of an adult now, you can still, I can relate to it because I was in high school in the late 80s, early 90s. But will this film relate to, like you said, you'd be interested to see a high school kid watch this movie today. Could they relate to it? And I think it's lost some of the relatability factor. There's just no doubt about it. Right. But there's still some stuff in there that I think still rings true. Right. At its core. Yes. It's still, that's what I'm holding on to right now. Why I still think this movie holds mm-hmm. some weight. Like it's still, you know. Yeah. And I think this is really maybe the third film that we've revisited where I kind of felt afterwards. I was like, oh, it's not how I remember it. And true. I would agree with that. I'm kind of bummed. Like most of these movies we've discussed, we're just like, oh, it's still fun. We're still having a good time about it. And we laugh because we're kind of like, if someone is watching it for the first time, you're like, dude, what are you guys talking about? This is crap. Right. But yeah, this is this is one where I'm kind of like, oh, man. Yeah. I should have yeah. left this alone. And huh, just, interesting. Th- there yeah. You go. Just just remember it for what I what I thought it was. Are you putting this in there with Can't Buy Me Love? Is that what you're doing? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I am. I got you. I am. See, I won't go that. I just won't go that far. I'm not going to, I'm not going to take that journey with you. I'm not going to mm-hmm. walk that. Yeah. I love, you know, Can't Buy Me Love, man. But yeah, I, I'm rec- <laughs> I would recommend it with reservations. I got you. I hear you. And again, like right now, if I go back, I probably won't watch this movie for some time in the future. Yeah, if I go back to John Hughes, it's always Ferris Bueller's Day Off or uh, Planes, Trains. Well, planes, yeah, definitely. I just watched mm-hmm. Planes, Trains again this past Thanksgiving. It was mm-hmm. awesome. So freaking funny. Um, so, yeah, I think that about wraps it up for this week's episode. All right. Thank you so much for listening. Next week will be the 1985 adventure comedy Remo Williams, The Adventure Begins, starring Fred Ward. Joel Gray and Wilford Brimley. As always, please subscribe, give us a review, and rate us. You can email us at all80smoviespodcast at gmail.com. Please send us your feedback, questions, or recipes to share. You can follow us on Facebook at all80smoviespodcast or tweet us at podcastall80s. Until then, have a totally great week, everyone. Right now, I'm pumping my fists into the air. Oh, And thanks for staying up with us. Good night, world.